Good morning again, church. Uh, today we're beginning a new series titled Ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church. Now, through this series, uh, we'll be considering images of the church from the Bible, like the church as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and the family of Christ, and consider how each metaphor informs our community and our lives by answering the question, what does it mean to be the church? And though it's a simple, not flashy question, it's profound that God has promised to be with His church through the end of the age. That through the ups and downs of history, through challenges and even persecution, the church has been sustained. Especially now, over a year into this journey and fight against COVID-19, of feeling the distance of not being able to freely meet in person, of longing to go back to the rhythms we're used to, we want to remind ourselves of the call to live out and share the love of Christ and what that means to be the church, even during this time. So in this first sermon of the series, we're looking at the church as the body of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be reading from verse 12 to verse 26, and you can read along in your Bibles, you can read along on your devices or on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of God. Now the passage we just read is from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And in this letter, Paul actually admonishes the church for its division. He calls out how some of them were boasting about who was baptized by whom. And even when it comes to the Lord's Supper, uh, he calls them out uh, because they had members who were eating while other members were hungry and didn't have any food. In this moment where the church was to gather and remember Christ, they were neglecting one another. In the portion of the letter that we read today to consider the church as the body of Christ, Paul points to unity. 
that Christians are all united as one body. In verse 13 again, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greek, slaves or free, are all made to drink of one spirit. And here Paul points to the diversity of the church of Christ's body. And outside of what he gives, we have so many ways to talk about our diversity. We've got our ethnic and racial backgrounds, our family backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, life stages, formal education, and we have so many personality assessments and indexes, whether you prefer the Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, Strength Finders, the DISC assessment, and the list goes on and on. Regardless of how we want to look at diversity, one thing is clear. The church is diverse and we're called to unity. Yet this call to unity doesn't erase what makes us distinct or unique as individuals. The goal of this unity is not to become a homogeneous community, but to recognize that God has made us this way. And this diversity is a part of His beautiful plan for the church. So as we think about church as Christ's body, we'll consider two lies that Paul presents in this illustration of the body to help us see what it looks like to be the body of Christ, and then examine what Paul calls a more excellent way. Now the first lie that we're going to look at is this, I do not belong to the body. In verse 15, Paul says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. In the following verse, in verse 16, he says, If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. And this idea, this lie comes up when we look around and find that because we're different or because our lives don't look like the lives that we see around us, whatever those differences might be, we begin to feel like I don't belong to the body. And while a lie like this can unfortunately be said to us from another person, so often lies like this take root when they're self-spoken. And when it does, it can run so deep and run so wide and expansive that it can cripple us. And you see, what we say about ourselves matters. The ideas we preach to ourselves will shape us. But thankfully, Paul speaks plainly and explicitly to call out this lie. He says twice, even if we were to say this about ourselves, that would not make us any less part of the body. This lie, you see, goes against God's design. God designed us, each of us, and you are made wonderfully. You are made in His image. And as those made in His image, we reflect different characteristics of God. And so each person has intrinsic value, has meaning, has significance in God's story and His picture of His people. But you see, this lie that we don't belong is an isolating lie where we believe that we don't affect the people around us and the other people around us don't care about us. And for a second, I want to pause here. See, especially with all that we've faced with COVID-19, um, isolation and mental health have become a much greater burden for so many. And maybe it's with this lie or a plethora of others. Um, if this has been a struggle for you, if this continues to be a struggle for you, I hope that you would take the bold and vulnerable step to seek out someone to speak with. Maybe a pastor, maybe um, somebody in your hope group or your pods, or even in our post-service prayer rooms. 
so that we can support you and journey with you through these difficult times. But coming back to this lie that Paul presents, the effect of the lie doesn't end with the individual. It's not just about how we might become isolated, how we might not embrace the the beautiful purpose that God has, has made us to live out. See, this lie actually goes beyond and affects the church, affects the whole body of Christ. See, when we live out this lie, the body loses. Each of us brings something beautiful to the body to shape it in its growth and its function, in its mission. And when we hold on to this lie that we don't belong simply because we're different, because our lives don't look a certain way, because we don't look like the people around us, not only do we miss out, but the body loses. Imagine this. A lot of us are working from home or just relying on our devices more to get things done, to stay connected. And imagine one day while you're typing away, your pinkies just suddenly decide, I don't want to participate, right? And imagine having to type everything in lowercase letters or trying to use like other fingers to hit the shift key, right? Imagine the frustration, the inhibited progress, room for other problems to come up. Now the same is true for the church, but of course on a far less comical level, right? Underrepresented stories that are held back leave blind spots in our awareness and our capacity to love and to care. Underrepresented gifts and passions, ways of seeing the world, ways of caring for other people, leave the church with gaps in our expressions of God's love, in our witness to the world. But you see, when we come together, when we do share our stories, our passions, our talents, our abilities, our ways of seeing the world, the sum of our parts is far greater in its impact than what we can do or experience on our own. And actually, when we choose to withhold ourselves thinking we don't belong, it's sin. And that statement needs some clarification because sin so easily and quickly becomes this very ugly word that might bring up feelings of shame and thoughts of condemnation. I find it so unhelpful to talk about sins as merely bad things people might do, but rather sin is anything that stands against God's good and perfect will, His beautiful picture of how things were meant to be. So when we choose not to engage with the body, when we choose to withhold ourselves because of this lie that we don't belong, it is sin. Sin that leaves the church, the body of Christ, inhibited from living out God's good and beautiful intention. Now the second lie that Paul brings up is this, I have no need of you. And we live in a society where even though there's an increasing cry for working towards good, our culture is marked by a strong tendency and preference to prioritize our individual rights and freedoms. For each person to be asking, what will I get out of it? What's in it for me? The unhealthy end of this is that we might think we don't need others. And at its worst, if others aren't useful to us, useful to our goals and our picture of what our lives should be, we can disregard or even uh, disregard them or consider them dispensable. Now, as people, as human beings, this does not work. This is not okay. 
No matter how self-sufficient I might try to be or, or build my life to be, I need other people to survive. I need other people to thrive. As a society, this doesn't work. Disregard for those who are not like us is short-sighted, not sustainable, and creates a toxic environment. As a church, this is so contradictory to who we are called to be as God's people. In our text today, Paul calls the church to consider, especially those we might think unimportant, weak, or vulnerable, with more honor, to give more care and attention there. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul calls us and says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The scriptures call us time and time again to stand with the weak and vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the sick, and the poor. And here there's a bit of a, a rude awakening, a sobering clarification. In this text that we read, it's not an outside entity pointing to the church and calling its members useless or insignificant. It's the body's own members. Paul raises here an internal conversation, one that stings because we want to be a community where everyone feels welcome and everyone feels loved. But we're not perfect in our words, in our deeds, or even our intentions. We're all in progress together. And if you've been hurt by the church, hurt by its leadership, hurt by somebody claiming good intentions, if you've been hurt by the silence of the church, the silence of its leaders, and the inaction of those afraid to do good, I'm sorry. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And as a community, our hope is that we can walk together in our pursuit of Christ. Our hope is that we would be humble enough to acknowledge when we fall short in building one another up. In the way that we relate to the world, but especially in how we relate to one another in this body, there's simply no room to say, I have no need for you. Instead, the church as Christ's body is called to suffer together, to rejoice together. And one very practical way you can do that, you can join our community to do that, is by joining in on the conversations and events around things like racial justice, to sit together in the frustrations and the painful realities our country is facing. We also have another great opportunity coming up with our relationship status event later in the month. And that evening, it's going to be all about considering how our faith informs our life stages, how we as a church community can share both in our sufferings as well as our reasons to rejoice when it comes to our life stages. Now, following the passage that we read today, Paul goes on to talk about the different gifts God has given to the church and how we should seek those gifts as great ways to build one another up in our faith and pursuit of Christ. But then, but then Paul actually calls our attention to something he describes as a more excellent way. And this is actually where we find a passage that's so often used in weddings, so often used to talk about marriage. But its purpose in the scriptures is actually to talk about the church and how we as members of Christ's body are meant to relate to one another. 
And so would you hear these words or follow along on your screen as I read for us? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And this is the love that Christ's body is called to live out. See, Christ came to to show us this kind of love. And it's so core to what it means to be his church in line with his command to the disciples in John chapter 13. There Jesus tells his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you see, with Christ as our head, the church as his body is called to be known for our love for one another, that through us, the world might see God's love. And so church, will we choose to engage in growing in our love for one another, growing as this body of Christ even now with all the challenges we're facing? Will we look for ways to hear and celebrate the stories of others? Hope Jersey City, may we be a church known for our love for one another. That we would celebrate all of the forms of our diversity as a gift of God. That through us, both our city and world might see and know His love. 